What is up, my dude? What's up? How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm just had a little bit of hot sauce in my pizza, so I had to wait for my lips to cool for a sec there <laughs> before I was ready to start doing it. It's a great time. choice. Yeah, definitely worth it. It's I get shit pizza out here, man. So I have to do like something to to you know make it edible. You just got to douse it in everything that they're possibly offering you. Is that what you do? Yeah, basically, it's like I, I bring it home. The place is on the corner, and it's only gotten shittier in like the three years I lived in this apartment. So I, I get a slice. I bring it home with me. I put it in the uh, – I preheat the oven before I leave. I put it in the oven. I like douse it in red pepper, garlic, and hot sauce, and then take it out and hope for the best. Got to do what you got to do. Sad ranch? Do you put ranch on it, or are you one of those ranch. like no ranch ever? Never. I can't, I can't do ranch. I, okay. I've tried. I just said it's not for me. I respect the hustle. I'm a big ranch guy. Okay, it's it's fine. It's just not for me. Midwesterners fucking love it though. <laughs> just douse them. I'm telling you, you just got to put it on everything. It's got that nice flavor where no matter what, it's got like a nice cheesy flavor of chicken. As long as you don't get too much, you know you need the right amount. It's like ketchup. If you put too much, then it's shitty. Chicken and ranch is fine. I'm I'm all for dipping chicken in, in ranch and mozzarella sticks even in ranch. Like I'm all I'm all for it. Just something about it on my pizza. I think it's the red sauce. I think That's red fair. sauce and, and ranch dressing just it just doesn't cut right for me. I hear you. My ultimate weakness is anything chicken, bacon, ranch. Just sign me up, and I'm eating yeah. a sandwich. Put it on the pizza. I'll do that on pizza. On that that's fine. I'll 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 bend for that. No problem there. Nothing better. Alrighty. Well, hope you're. Uh, I hope you're well fed at least. Let's. Uh, I am well fed. Let's get this podcast underway. There you go. All right, welcome everyone to the TKW podcast. I'm Anthony Corbo. I've got from TKW Matt Spendley here. What's going on, Matt? Not much, buddy. Glad to make my official debut on the podcast. I made a couple appearances during draft season, but I guess that yeah. wasn't really podcast worthy. Yeah, it yeah. didn't actually get uploaded. I, I can't remember. Did we upload it as like an audio file? <sighs> Let's see. I think we did. We definitely had you on for the live shows. Matt I has, did the live Matt show for the lottery and the draft. The, during the live shows. Yeah. He's been the shining star. Um, yeah. And then there were some other things, you know, it's. This podcast has been around for, I think this is actually like a year this week that we started off this podcast. We've come a nice. long way in, as far as technical advances are concerned. So Matt is, oh, yeah. has tried to been on before, and I think there's some lost audio somewhere. So welcome, officially. Let's get this thing underway. I've Absolutely. got 10 questions for you here about our New York Knicks, and it is currently... October 23rd, it is about 8.15 uh, Eastern time. Uh, Eric Bledsoe is not a Nick right now, right? Nothing. Uh, not a Nick as no, far as I know. I got my there. phone right here. Get all the notifications if anything happens. As of right now, it's just, oh, God, my background's still Gary Sanchez. All right, I got to change it. <laughs> all right, so you know where we stand. Um, 
So that's where we're taking this from. So Matt, let me know what do you what are you feeling on Eric Bledsoe? Where do you think he ends up? What do you think the Knicks odds are for him, and should they really be pursuing him seriously? Okay, so I want to preface this by saying that I've been a huge Bledsoe stand for a long time now. Back to his Clippers days, even at Kentucky, I was a big fan of his. So when he got traded to the Suns initially, I was ecstatic. And to think about that trade in hindsight, too, the Suns just gave up Jared Dudley to get him. So, I mean, they're doing that trade 11 times out of 10. Yeah, definitely. To redo that. But as far as the Knicks go for Bledsoe, I mean, it's just... Does he make a lot of sense for this team? That's what you got to ask yourself. They need point guards, obviously, because we'll get into their putrid point guard play later on in the questions, I'm sure. And Bledsoe does fit their timeline, but the bottom line is you know what they're giving up if they're getting him, and that's Neil Aquina, Hernan Gomez, and potentially another asset. Is that something you want to part with? I'd rather not. I think that they My- have enough. My yeah, thinking was that um, my thinking was that one of Hernan Gomez or Neil Aquina would be enough to get him. Um, I kind of, so? I kind of, uh, you know, floated some trade machine things out earlier today. I thought maybe Dotson may be an attractive piece, like Dotson, the Bulls pick that we have this year, and another second somewhere down the line, plus you know the salary to make it worth the Courtney Lee or. You could you could get away with like Lance Thomas and like someone else that might be a little bit more valuable and make that trade happen, but um, yeah, it's just not attractive enough, especially when I saw like uh, like Emmanuel Mudiay's name fl- floating around from Denver. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's when I kind of knew that short of first round picks and like heavy protections, I'm sure we would put on that. Like we just didn't have we didn't have the attractive pieces to make it happen, and I don't think the Knicks were willing to part with Neil Aquino. And I think anyone Correct. that really thinks that we should have been willing to part with Neil Kina is definitely overreacting. Am I right in saying that? Too soon, exactly. Of course. It's the second game it's the second game of the season that just ended. We're getting in the beginning and people are already freaking out about Neil Kina. Again, I think we'll get into him a little, a little bit later. But I think to your point about what the Knicks are giving up, I just don't Dotson's just like a he's nothing right now. He's a second round pick that we saw some good things from him preseason, but he's done nothing. He's played very sporadically. I don't think he adds anything. And my concern with giving up a Courtney Lee or a Lance Thomas is that the Suns already have a couple of those type of veteran contracts on the books. Yeah. And I think if you're going to throw one of those guys their way, they're going to say, oh, well, you got to give us something else then. Yeah, that, that's so all. So if you thing. get Lance Thomas, they're going to say, we have Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley on the books, and the Knicks aren't even in a position to – swallow those contracts because that that would be something interesting if the Knicks were a team that was needing to get to the salary floor or something they mm. could say hey listen we'll take Tyson Chandler off your hands give us Bledsoe and we won't have to give up quite as much maybe we'll give you you know Hernan Gomez and then something else but again the Knicks aren't really in a position contractually to make this type of deal as much as I would love Bledsoe on the team I just I don't yeah. see a scenario where it happens for this team yeah, they they were in a really weird position. The Suns, where they like they could either take on younger assets, they could take on veteran pieces that would help them now, or they could clear out some dead weight. Like it, it, you can't really like pin one thing against some of the other. Like you can't say that we'll give you less because we'll help you out in this area because really they're they're an open book everywhere. So 
Um, mm-hmm. not, not a lot of wiggle room with them. They're just going to wait and take whatever the most attractive option is. Uh, right now, I think that's looking like um, like Denver's got probably the best options. I don't think I think Milwaukee's probably the best landing spot for him, but I, I don't think they're really uh, honestly pursuing that. And if I'm Denver, I give up Moutier in a heartbeat to get Bledsoe. I'm not a big fan of Moutier's. We've seen him struggle to shoot. We've seen him struggle to really run an offense. And the Nuggets have. I know we joke a lot about Jokic amongst ourselves here, and I'm sure there's been some chatter about him, and there will be the rest of the year on this podcast. But he's basically your point guard. So they've been playing guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris at the one. So a guy like Moutier, to me, just doesn't move the needle much. So I think Bledsoe would be a much better fit. If I'm the Nuggets, I'd be absolutely putting Moutier on the table saying, listen, we'll start here. Is this going to get it done, or are we going to have to give up more? Yeah. Um, and then just kind of taking a look at where Eric Bledsoe is right now. He is, he's on contract for this year for 14, uh, 0.5 million next year. It's a straight 15. Then he's an unrestricted free agent from there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like giving them Courtney Lee in any situation, it's just, he's an $11 million contract for this year, next year and the following. So you're tacking on another year of big money onto them and that's not going to do it for him. Yeah, and I mean that's a nice contract that Bledsoe's on too. Let's not forget that part. Yeah, that, that was, was signed. Good. I think that was that was a max deal before they changed, uh, before they agreed to the new max contract. So that contract looks nice compared to what some other guys are making in the NBA. Bledsoe for fifteen is a great contract, which again gives the Suns a little more leverage. But you wonder how much leverage they really have after he tweets, "I don't want to be here," which just yeah. hysterical because I follow him because again one of my favorite players, and I saw it, and I was like, "This can't be real." Yeah, it's one of those things that you expect him to delete it, and then he didn't. And I just have so much respect for that that he kept it up, and then tried to say he was at a hair salon. Which at the hair salon, I think I think he was at the hair salon, and he was there like with like his mom or his girl or someone, and like that's why he he just didn't want to be there. That honestly, to me, I read that for the first time, and that's what it sounded like, and that's that's what's been sticking around in my head. But it would yeah. be a huge coincidence if that happened and they fired Earl Watson two hours later and their <laughs> GM said, yeah, he told us he was at the hair salon, but we think he's full of shit. So. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, oh, hysterical. Yeah. All right. Well, so we'll see where he ends up. I think we're still in the running technically. And um, yeah, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, moving on from that. So we kind of talked about, we kind of touched on the trade assets that the Knicks have, but uh, as far as, you know, we have Billy, we have, I guess, Dotson, but who else would be trade assets for the Knicks that they kind of would feel more comfortable parting with? If, they, I mean, if you're the Knicks, yeah. you got the, every team, if you're going to want anyone of value, is immediately going to look to Neil Aquino. They're going to look for picks because the Knicks in terms of, assets don't really have anyone right now that they're going to deal that makes a lot of sense you get guys like Cantor, who teams don't want him there's like we talk about lance thomas and courtney lee who might be guys around the trade deadline that get moved but these these guys are not gonna demand anything in a trade the knicks will be lucky to get any sort of piece back that's an nba ready town and beyond that you're looking at guys like kylo quinn who is another guy that is along those same lines a veteran that is going to give you good minutes but teams aren't going to be clamoring to get him. He's a guy that when you're at the trade deadline, teams are in need of a big. He's on a nice cheap contract for this year and next year, I think. Uh, the Knicks right now are not in a great position to make any trades. They just need to stand pat, let this season run out, 
and make your pick, make your first round pick, do the necessary research, really feel confident because based on the, how they looked in the first two games, I'm really struggling to th- believe how they'll hit their over of 30 and a half. I don't see how this team wins more than 30 games. Yeah. I, I especially the the first two games of the season have not been promising for them hitting that. I mean, I was pretty high on them. I thought they'd hit somewhere closer to 30 and even above 30. But mm-hmm. I have been strongly recons- reconsidering. I mean, you know, we can kind of even just fast forward and, and look at like what the, the biggest things to look at from these first two games of the season. It's like everything seems to be coming to fruition in the first couple of minutes of the game. The guys are looking a little bit more in sync, and it just nat- that's what just naturally happens with teams. And I feel like it's been this way for years with the Knicks, but now is kind of the only time it makes sense that they just trail off as the game goes along. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, you know, a lot of it falls on, I guess, rotations. A lot of it falls on the guys' effort levels and chemistry and just being a whole new team and not having Carmelo to toss it to at the end of every play. So I guess of everything that's been, that you're kind of seeing through the chaos of the first few games of the season, what have you been able to pull away from that? Yeah, so I think what you mentioned is what happens to teams that can't play defense, is that they can play in stretches, but if you ask them to play a full game, they're going to go through you know, four-minute increments in a game where all of a sudden they look like they have no idea who they're supposed to be guarding on the court, their rotations aren't in sync, the big men and the guards are looking at each other like, what are you supposed to be doing? Um, so defensively we knew this team was going to be terrible we knew it and there hasn't been anything to dissuade that notion at all uh as far as just some takeaways i I had a few we'll do some quick hits and then if you want to get into any more of them we can we can certainly do that sure uh their starting lineup has been bad very bad it's seen the most minutes sessions hardaway jr lee porzingis Cantor. it's been just atrocious defensively offensively they're putting up like an 80 offensive rating and a 112 defense or something like that their net rating is just really really bad wow uh they're they're running the pick and roll a little more which isn't surprising because when you don't have mellow to take up all those iso possessions it's not surprising to see them want to move the ball a little more i've noticed on defense in the pick and roll their bigs have been attacking the ball handlers a little bit more like jumping out to hedge so I think you have to do that when your center is Ennis Cantor and you know he can't protect the rim because as much as Porzingis can, he's not guarding guys that are attacking the rim, which I'm sure it's another discussion that we're going to be having all season about Porzingis, what position he should really be playing. And then they've been giving up a lot of threes, but teams haven't been hitting many threes. So they're giving up like the fourth most threes, but teams are only hitting 30%, which is obviously below. And teams are going to shoot better from three if they keep giving them these opportunities. And again, two games, small sample size. But if we're not overreacting, what are we doing here? Yeah, very true. I mean, that's the uh, whole reason why we can get 10 questions out of two games. But um, my whole thinking is that here, here's my, I guess, takeaway from all this is we've been clamoring for ball movement for years now. And it's finally here. It's definitely, definitely coming with a lot of turnovers, though. Um Yes. Yeah, I think that, I, I don't know, I guess that comes with better guard play, and I guess that comes with us like kind of figuring out and giving guys, like I guess, like presenting players to position to succeed, I think will help us turn down on that, you know, on all of the turnovers and help to make the ball move and actually be conducive to buckets and not an 80 offensive rating. 
Um, but I mean, that's really the biggest thing is that it's going to take some time for these guys to be able to find some roles and mark their territory on the court and feel comfortable knowing when each other are ready to score the basket. Yeah, no doubt. And when you're looking at a team that doesn't have a point guard, essentially, because Vermont Sessions is obviously the worst starting point guard in the NBA. I don't think it's even a question. So when you're... <laughs> oh who's my who's God. the second worst point guard in the NBA? I'm trying to think. Who's the second worst starting point guard in the NBA? Because there's no way Sessions is not the worst. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely number 30. And it's like every option the Knicks could plug in here is going to be number 30. Like even right, Fra- because... like Frank is the only one with potential, but that's it's you know that's a, a very loaded thing putting him in as the right. starting point guard. And the Knicks don't even have a secondary guy. Like I'm thinking of you think of the, the who the Sixers have been tossing out for a starting lineup. Mm. They don't really have a, a point guard per se, but they're tossing out Ben Simmons. He's their point guard. Same thing with Giannis. I mean, the point I was going to say like awful. the Clippers now that like Milos is gone, but they'll just put Beverly there and they'll be. Oh yeah, Be- and Beverly's fine. good, and yep. that's another guy. Blake Griffin is basically their secondary playmaker. Isn't I mean, that a wild like, thing? I love it. I <laughs> I have been on Team Blake being a playmaker forever. I I love to see it. I don't know how I feel about him shooting so much, but you know what? If he's going to be averaging five assists a game, getting that offense going, I'm totally with it. I was really upset to see Chris Paul go down too because the Clippers have been my second favorite team for probably since Chris Paul went there. Yeah. yeah. Who, so kind of who's bummer. running but, the I mean, point? Chris Paul obviously on Houston now, but it just is – so I've been a big fan of his, and then hopefully the Clippers can keep it up. This is actually a very real question, but Shoot. who is running the point in Chicago right now? Oh, that's good. Jaron Grant, our old buddy. Is it, is it Jaron Grant right now? I know <laughs> yeah. John, well, John they, is Yeah, well, they out. have Chris Dunn, and, but uh, he's injured, right. and he's going to be back soon, but there's no reason to think that he's any better than the second worst. All right. Yeah, it's definitely your hometown Chicago Bulls. <laughs> I am. It, it's it's heavy competition. Anyway, um, let's focus a little bit brighter. At least there was kind of one thing that looked to be working in Detroit. At least uh, Ennis Cantor and KP looked like they were playing well together underneath the basket. I mean, like at the beginning of that game, it was the two of them and nobody else. Cantor was just dominating underneath. It was giving Porzingis a little bit more room to be comfortable in the mid range. Um, I thought that that looked really, really good. I hope to see some more of that in the future. But what what do you make of that? And what's that kind of do to the center rotation now? So Cantor is, I'm trying to think of an analogy. He's like a beautiful, beautiful piece of jewelry. And you look at it from afar and you're like, damn, God damn, that is gorgeous. And then you pick it up and you realize that it's cheap and not actually what you thought it was. Mm. Because... And let's just get one thing clear. Ennis Cantor is very good at what he does. He is a great post player. You can feel confident throwing it down to him. Even if he gets double teamed, he's going to put it in the hoop. He is a exceptional offensive rebounder, has a good nose for the ball. But he's so limited in what he does, which is exactly why I mentioned before that no one really wants to trade for him because his role is so limited. And it's hard to field a good team when you're playing him 25, 30 minutes. It's just a fact. Right. So while him and I thought him and Porzingis would be a good fit together, just because you can get Cantor to demand those touches down low. Hopefully you get, um, you know, Porzingis in the corner, you get Courtney Lee in the corner and Cantor can make those passes when he gets double teamed and the defense collapses in on him. But it's just made it really hard on defense. 
And we knew that was going to be a factor going in. So it's not surprising, but just seeing it before our eyes is a little, um, I don't know if sobering is the right word, but that's kind of what it's been just to see it really be a, a reality that we, the things that we had speculated before the season. So, so you're saying essentially this is going to be a fluke, but what's that mean for, so what's that mean for the rest of the, rota- the rotation then? Um, okay. So let's like, who about... would you, who would you rather see next to KP right now? If not Cantor? Well, here's here's my thing, okay? Yeah. I, I I don't want please don't turn off the podcast after I say this folks because I want you to hear me out. I want us to seriously think about this, Knicks fans. Really dig deep and think about this. You ready for this question? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. What is the real difference between Ennis Cantor and Willie Her- or Billy Hernan Gomez? What's the real difference? Now let's go through it. Both are bad defenders. Sure. Hernan Gomez is still young, obviously, but he hasn't shown any promise on that end. Both good rebounders. Cantor's better on the offensive end, but both good rebounders. Mm -hmm. And they are both good post players, but Hernan Gomez was not great in limited opportunities last year, even though he looked good. He wasn't scoring a ton of points per possession, so it's something we could see improve. I'm getting really worried about us getting our expectations too high for Hernan Gomez because I think his ceiling as a player is limited and it's making me a little, a little worried because I think he's a better passer than Cantor, which is a really good skill to have as a big man because we've seen him pull out some of those nifty passes overseas and I love Hernan Gomez. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, the more I watch, I'm just like, what more is he going to provide to this team? And I'm, I want to have a, like a great discussion about that because with everyone, because I think that's something really worth digging deep and thinking about. I think as we so, I think so as well. And I think that every concern that you've brought up is like totally valid. We can really only speculate at this, uh, about it at this point, because even when, you know, it, it's just about sample sizes here. It makes sense to go with Cantor because he's going to be the option that helps you win more. He's just mm-hmm. the more tried and true option. I think he's more comfortable in his role. I think he's ready to give you what he's, what he can provide for an NBA team pretty much every night. He's solid, is what I mean to say. But when he right. comes, and like to... we talked about, his skill set is what it is, and right. we know it, what he it, is because he's been in the league and done the same thing for six years now. Right, it is what it is, and it, it, you know, and I think he is fine. He's comfortable with that. The team is comfortable with that, and that's cool. I think though, when you're stuck in a situation like that, and he is a better player than Billy Hernan Gomez right now. He's he's much more talented on the offensive end just because he is more solid and he's going to be able to give it to every play. But I think in this situation, you got to play for upside because it doesn't matter if they win or lose right now. All that matters is that the guys that you want to see that you have on your team at that moment that you could see moving forward and growing with your unit is getting the repetition that they need out there and building their chemistry together. It doesn't, you know, it really, it just doesn't matter to me if, if Ennis Cantor is a better player. And I know that Hornacek has to play the better player here, which is really the issue. I just think that it's, you know, you at least have to work him into the rotation and give him the potential to assume those thrones whenever he's ready. Because he needs to be, if he's not going to be someone who continues with the team, then you need to be able to showcase him at his full value. So that he can get you, he can acquire you the next piece that will be, you know, potentially what you need to move to take your next step forward. Yes, and I one hundred percent agree that 
Hornacek's handling of Hernan Gomez has been laughable and shameful so far. Because let's talk about why he's not playing him. He said he's not playing him because of his struggles on defense. You know who struggles on defense? Definitely not Alexander. <laughs> so if that's if you're going to give a criticism, that one doesn't make any sense. If you want to say he's young, we just want to we didn't want to play him. We want to give the veterans some minutes. That's fine. But he hasn't really said that. So it's a terrible excuse. We also knew from the get-go the Knicks were too deep at center. They have too many guys to give minutes to because you can't play these guys with each other. Like right. you can't have Kylo Quinn playing with Ennis Cantor or play with um, you know Hernan Gomez. These because they're, they're not about shooters. Noah they're not going to space the floor. Soon. Yeah. Well, good lord. I mean, mm-hmm. what are they going to do with him? I don't think he's going to play. I don't, you don't know think he's. You don't think they're going to like. I because my whole I'm kind of like already convinced that he is going to have a like the bat. He's not going to start. But I'm convinced that he's going to be given the primary backup big role uh, until he shows that he can't do it. Like, I think he's just going to be grandfathered into that. Yeah, I God, I hope not, because but he should be like a depth piece at this point. But this is another yeah. thing that no, I'm, I'm with we you, talked about. Yeah. You hope you hope Kyle O'Quinn keeps playing this well and you could trade him because that's what you yes. hope. You, you hope that you can get rid of one of these guys, get him off your books. I mean, if you trade O'Quinn, you get nothing but a second round pick back and like a, a wing guy from someone. That's fine. Even if you just get a wing guy, I don't even care at this point. I love O'Quinn. I was really happy when the Knicks signed him because I my buddy at school was a huge Magic fan, so I watched a ton of Magic games. And he's been outstanding. He's, players. Players he's been here. Right. He's done his thing. He's not a great defender, but he's really worked on his jump shot. That's gotten a lot better. He's become like knocked down at that 18 to 20-foot range, which we didn't see from him in Orlando or in his early seasons at New York. You get 15 so seconds I, of LeBron James out of him, as Ty said on the last podcast, every single exactly. game. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, he's at least made the last couple of years bearable. Yes. So he's a guy I the Knicks should definitely look to move. They just have too many centers. <laughs> and if you if you view Hernan Gomez as a part of your future, then he has to play. He has to, yeah. he plays 15 minutes a game, that's fine. Mm-hmm. He should not be chained to the bench until they're losing the game and they're getting blown out because this happened last year. And when he played, I think it was the game in Denver, he came in a little earlier and he put up like a nice 17 and 10 double double. We know what this man can do. He produces in the time that he showed, but we'll never be able to tell if he's actually better than a guy like Ennis Cantor if he doesn't play. So that's the biggest distinction here. And I, I'll voice my skepticism about Hernan Gomez all year. I want to see him improve on defense, but we don't know where his ceiling lies if he's going to sit on the bench next to guys like Jared Jack and freaking McDermott. Like, that's just not what you want to see. Matt. Yes. Ramon Sessions has not been effective so far. That is true. Frank has been fragile, broken, not broken. Also, true. not yet, but fragile. Where do we go from here? Is it are we pulling Jarrett Jack off that spot on the bench? Is he gonna see is he could he start next game? No, no, no. Don't have any positive thoughts about Jarrett Jack. Not allowed. Who Not else allowed. did they who was the kid they just signed? Um to the Isaiah two-way game? Isaiah Isaiah Hicks? Yeah. Does he have from Carolina? Is he what what is he? Is he a forward? Is he a guard? No, he's a he's a guard. I don't know a lot about him. To be honest with you, sure. I'll look I mean, up, yeah, right I, now just I, don't, I don't, I don't expect anybody are, to at this point, really. Right. The, the Knicks are hoping. The Knicks were never hoping to get anything from their point guard position. Oh, he's more of a forward, actually. Excuse me. I, I okay. 
didn't realize, but all right. So regardless, so, I mean, well, what what's what's going to happen at the one spot from here? How much longer can they tread out a starting Ramon Sessions? And how like I, I don't even know what the possibilities could be at this point. In a perfect world, here's what Hornacek and the front office hoped. They hoped that they would play Sessions about games one through thirty, start him, play Nilakina fifteen minutes a game show some signs, start to knock down some shots, run the offense a little bit. We know he's going to defend. That's a given. Mm -hmm. And then they were going to hope to hand it right over to him for the second half of the year. That could still be a reality sure. because we haven't seen Neil Aquina hit the court yet for oh, meaningful we, we've minutes. Seen, we've seen one game. We've yeah, seen we played eight minutes. We've seen, yeah, a, we've that, seen an assist and two air balls. Yes, the air balls were spectacular from the corner. Just spectacular. But The assist was mediocre. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny how when you have a draft pick like this, you're just like grasping for straws to anything <laughs> you can say about him. You're just like, oh man, that one pass he had was just, <laughs> So I don't think the Knicks can do anything at point guard because mm. we mentioned that trading is going to be difficult. Sure. They can always look to target. Like that's something that we could look at, see, you know, if you're going to trade O'Quinn, is there a point guard out there making, you know, four or five million the salaries match up? That's a backup that could immediately step in and be an upgrade at the point guard position for the short term. That's not going to affect you. Those are the types of deals that the Knicks could definitely look to make. I don't know if there's anywhere they can go right now. They knew they were going to be bad at point guard coming in. They are bad at point guard. It is what it is. You hope Frank can come back healthy and that he can actually show some of the promise in his rookie year. Rookie point guards are always going to struggle unless their name's Lonzo Ball, apparently. So... He's, it's gonna be a long road. He's still having. He has his bumps. I was watching oh, uh, I the game last night. He he has his bumps. Gets blocked a lot. Yeah, and he could really only pull that like step back jumper because his release is so strange. He's easy to defend in that way. But damn, if he isn't fun to watch. Um, let's talk about the other, uh, the other guard spot. We made a big signing this summer. We brought Tim Hardaway Jr. back, and look, I know it's only two games. Has he, but he really like he's shown nothing to show that he has improved, and you know all this talk from over the summer has been able to translate. I mean, every shot I feel like he's taking is airballing too. I mean, none of our guards can even hit the rim. This is <laughs> it's incredible. But so, right, your twenty seventeen so, eighteen New York Knicks, ladies and gents. Yeah, not one hitting three. the rim from yards is a positive. Chris Sops hits a three. He hits a bunch of threes all year, and that is all of the New York Knicks three point shooting. Courtney Lee yes. chimes in with a couple just because he's a vet, and that's about it. <laughs> um, so, but on Tim Hardaway Jr., he's struggling right now. It's pretty clear he's probably trying a little bit too hard too. But what it, what role can he fit into this team? It kind of reminds me of what Dwayne Wade's going through right now, where he has no idea what he's going to do on the Cavs. I have no idea what Tim Hardaway is going to do on the Knicks. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems like there's so much that's not happening well with the Knicks that he can kind of grab on wherever he needs to. So I want to know what you think his best role is going to be on this team. I'm not an ounce worried about Hardaway Jr. Not an ounce. Two games, couple tough shooting performances, but I'm not worried. He's getting his shots. He's getting his threes. He's been getting to the rim, which is what you want. I think he's markedly better on defense than he was when he was here last time. I think he tries much harder, which I think is half the battle, especially at the guard position. You just got to try, and you can chase those guys around the screens, do what you're going to do. 
I'm not really worried. He's going to get the looks in the offense that he was meant to get all along. And I do think he fits because they need shooting, especially when you're, we've mentioned the point guard play has been bad and the center is not going to stretch the floor if they're playing Cantor, O'Quinn, or, you know, they're not going to play Porzingis at the five, then you're going to need more shooting out there. So I'm not really worried about Hardaway. I think he'll pick it up. I think he's going to end up averaging anywhere between, you know, 15 and 18 points. So shoot 44% from the floor, hopefully 37 from three. I'm, I'm really not too concerned about him, to be honest with you. Well, that, uh, that makes me feel a little bit better. I, I want, I really do want Tim Hardaway to work out. I'm, I just feel like every chip is, is against him right now. And he's yeah. got to be pressing. He's got to be pressing. You know, guys, and he hears all the chatter. The media is asking him before the season, hey, you know, you got this big contract and you haven't been all that good in your career until last year. Yeah. So what are you going to do? And he's been here before. Like he has, it's the same people who were chirping at him last time or right back chirping at him again. Right. And let's not forget for Plus a second. Plus us. Exactly. Well, we're, we're always going to talk, you know, it's going to be good, bad, everything. Let's, let's think about something for a second though. So their first two games were against Oklahoma City and Detroit. Right. Oklahoma City's wing defenders are Andre Robertson, all defense type of guy. Paul George, all defense type of guy. Mm. Detroit Pistons is Avery Bradley, all defense type of guy. I'd have to go back and watch Hardaway the entire game to make to see who was guarding him, you know, to distribute that. But those are tough defensive matchups. You're just looking at the straight one-on-one portion of it. So we'd have to look at the the distribution and see who was actually defending him. But another reason why I'm not worried, I think those matchups are really tough for him. Yeah, so it's intimidating. Shooting, it's going to come sure. around. It's going to come around. He's not going to shoot 27% from the floor all year. So one of these games he's going to go out. He's going to have a nice three-point barrage. He's going to put up 28 in a Knicks win, you know, maybe two weeks from now when they get their first dub of the season. Yeah. All right. I can roll <laughs> with that. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I, I'm not, hey, you know what? I, just... I think I think we all feel – are we, we going to transition into KP a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at KP real quick. Let's. Uh, so I think before you before you ask a question, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a little. I'll set you up here. I'll throw you a nice meatball. So you can okay. Set me right back up for you. Okay. So I think I saw every single Knicks fan retweets. I forget who tweeted it. So shouts to whoever did, but it might have been Network. I think it's Porzingis going for forty and the Knicks losing should be what every Knicks fan wants. And I know it's agonizing from a fan perspective. We don't want to see the Knicks lose even if we think we do, you know what I mean? Because we want to see them lose so they get a better draft pick. But seeing Porzingis do his thing while them also losing and not looking awful in the process should be the best result that we would hope for. Yeah, so, all right, well, we could skip right to this question. This is what I wanted to go out on anyway. It's basically what you're saying right here. You know, we should be we should be hoping for you know forty and ten from KP every night. We should be hoping for monster blocks like he got on Melo. Uh, you know, opening night of the season, we should be you know hoping for you know as a three points for him. We should be hoping for post plays like he should, We should just be hoping for dominance from him. It goes to asking all these questions, everything that we're asking right now, these concerns at the beginning of the season. Do they all matter as long as KP continues to dominate in the way that he has? Of course not. And nothing matters besides Porzingis being healthy and performing well on the same level. Then you have the the micro concerns like, you know, Nilakina's injury, which is probably next on the totem pole. And then you've got 
I mean, after that, I just don't know what is a Knicks fan you can get attached to with this team to actually care that much about because you're looking at the veterans. And, I mean, Porzingis has been great so far. We know that. I've really liked his post game so far. Number one thing I was looking for going into the year for him was getting that post game working against smaller guys. All he has to do in the post. So he had Tobias Harris on him, Stanley Johnson on him mm-hmm. when they played on, what was it, Saturday night? Yeah. And get the ball in the post, take a dribble, turn around, and just put your hands up and bank it off the glass. And he did that a couple times. He got fouled because what can these guys do? They're going to put their hands up. They're going to hit him on the arm. Yeah, He needs all- to keep doing this, get his ass in the paint. They need to keep setting him up in the good spots. And he also needs – we've said this about him the last two years. When he's heating up, he needs to look at his team and say, you're going to give me the damn ball right now because I'm hot. And Melo's not on this team anymore. That excuse isn't built in for him because we've been able to say in the past, you know, uh, they aren't feeding him because Melo has to get his touches because Derrick Rose had to get his touches, all these different things. That's not here anymore. If Porzingis has 13 points in the first quarter, he better be looking to get 13 points in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Yep. He needs to be attacking relentlessly. I am all for that. I am I'm all for KP domination. If we could get a couple of nice, you know, uh, you know, maybe double digit assist games out of Frank along the way, I'm all for that too. Hey, no one's complaining. And yeah. defensively, I want to talk about Porzingis defensively for a yeah, second. Yeah. So Van Gundy mentioned after the Pistons game that he basically slighted Hornacek and wondered why he kept Porzingis at the four because the Pistons are playing a small lineup where they got Tobias Harris at the four. I think Tobias had 30 points. You know, he was cooking in the pick and roll. The Knicks are able to put, or I should say, uh, the teams are able to put the Knicks through the grinder when they put Porzingis against these guys. It's such a tough matchup for him because, yeah, he's quick, but Harris is shifty and able to get in spots that Porzingis simply can't due to his frame. So just another reason why their center rotation is going to be something to watch all year and – I'm Porzingis is nice at the four because it's where he wants to play. He has those mismatches on offense, but as he progresses, as he continues to grow more brolic and put that muscle on, he needs to realize that his future is at the five and banging with some of these guys down low. And there's always his health to worry about. I I don't think that's ever not going to be a concern when you have a seven foot three man on your team. So every time he goes up, you know, you kind of hold your breath a little bit. Yeah, but I I, ha- I have similar concerns with that on the perimeter. You know, uh, like I know yeah, that he, yeah, I, for sure. I know that he can stick with these guys, and I know that he's got you know footwork out there that you really there's not a lot of other bigs in the league that have it. Anthony Davis, maybe, but mm-hmm. you know, not not too many other guys can you know are as crafty with their feet out on the perimeter who are that big as Porzingis. But you know, still it, he's gonna you know he's gonna pick the fight with the wrong guy. He's going to get twisted up. He's going to fall down. He's going to twist his knee one of these plays, and I don't want to see something bad happen off of that. Um, so, it, you know, even from a health health perspective, I kind of would rather see him start, you know, getting used to being in the post of protecting himself down there than worrying too much about the perimeter. Right. And on this team, it's just the fact that he's only going to play the five if they – decide to put out some weird bench unit. It's just it's just the way it is. It's how the team is built. So right now, it's just, it's not going to happen. A lot of us have wanted it to happen. I think we said it as soon as he was a rookie and we saw he was good. 
it made a lot of sense. We've seen all these different guys, you know, uh, you said Davis comes to mind, of course, that can shoot cat right. that are these big athletic, you know, just, they, they have the footwork of guards. They can do things on the perimeter. There's a reason why every time Porzingis does anything, we see people putting videos up with the caption. He's seven, three. Yeah. It's amazing. Men, his size should not be able to do that. It's just, it just yeah, shouldn't be a thing. It's total sideshow shit. But we can be as critical of the the little things with Porzingis as you want. Seeing him put up 32 points a game is all you could ask for. You hope he settles in around 20. You'd love to see him put up yeah. more than that. I think it's definitely a possibility. The Knicks have been playing pretty fast. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him get stick around nine rebounds a game. Like if he can keep his yeah. blocks up, he keeps his points you know around that 20 mark, and he gets his rebounding up a lot higher. Like, and just like the field goal percentage sticks with it. And he's just kind of like, I'm not even so worried about his stats. Like those are all um, nice things to see. I just want to see his court awareness really pick up more than anything. I want him yeah, to no know doubt. when to be on the, when to be guarding the perimeter. I want him to know when to be on the interior. I want him, you know, and he's showing on offense in particular in the last couple of games that he's aware of where he is on the court. He's not just launching those, you know, long threes from, you know, without taking a jump in the air just because, you know, Mello and Derrick Rose and whoever else is out there is clogging up the inside and there's nowhere else yep. for him to go. He's kind of aware that the court belongs to him and he can pick his battles a little bit more effectively. I mean, his field goal percentage has been great so far. And it was much better his second year than it was his first year. Like he improved yeah. on that a lot last year. So that's something yeah. that. We sh- if we see that settle in at league average and shooting threes at you know 37, 38%, that's incredible. And the the more threes they can get him at the top of the key, the better. That's a spot. Yeah. That is the money spot for him. Get him a pick and pop. Bring in the guard on the wing. Little dribble. Set the pick. Pick and pop. His release is so quick, too. That's one thing since his rookie year. You know, he, he was a big guy. He was still learning into his body. He was still growing his release is just lightning quick now, which again for a seven, three guy is just incredible to watch. It absolutely, absolutely is at least, you know, for all that we get put through, we'll always have our, uh, our ray of light at least. Um, he's always something after the game, we can have a positive feeling. Even if the Knicks get blown out some shitty game, always say we got Porzingis, uh, you know, until he leaves in like three years. It's all leading up to something. Um, <laughs> Knock on all the wood. Matt, thanks for thanks for coming on, answering a couple of quick questions. Ten-ish. It was somewhere around there. Uh, we jumped around yeah, we a little bit. Tangent, That's but, all right. You know, we That's just, just wanted to fit in. Um, I'm seeing a couple of the... Let's just finish right here. I'm seeing a couple of those um, fourth Nike jerseys coming out for a lot of teams. I saw the Lakers mm. one come out. I think there was another one I saw come from somewhere. I thought I saw the Warriors had one like it. Maybe there's a third, but... Yep. Whatever it is, we know the Knicks got, you know, at least a, a decent amount of uh, historic jerseys to choose from. What's your, what's your pick for our number four? So right now they've got the home and away, and then they have yeah. that white one that's a little different, right? Yeah, I don't really, I don't really dig that one. It kind of looks like crap it's on fine. TV. But it's fine. I'm trying to think what they've had in the past. I mean, my pick. I think. It, what if the maroon ones? Is that what you're yeah, say? yeah, that, yeah. That's one. Well, I, I think those are pretty dope because they want to make a splash. Don't bring the like... orange ones back ever. The orange ones yeah. were obviously bad juju. Those those are gone forever. Yeah, no, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that um, the fourth jersey for every team is going to be like a throwback. Okay, so, so... it's either going to be so the Knicks had the the ones the last couple of years where it was the 
the old like the um the Richie Garen. Yeah, yeah, they went jerseys. So, they went like early yeah, 60s. so they had those ones. And then, but then after that, you think the Willis Reed uh Clyde teams basically Wait. had jerseys that were the same as the uh you know, the 2000s Knicks without the black in them. So yep. they're not going to do that because that wouldn't make any sense because they look too similar. Yep. And then you got the maroon ones as really the only ones that stand out as something they could bring back and people be like, oh, I haven't seen that before. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was the 50s ones. I could see the uh, the black trapezoid ones from like the late 90s, the, uh, yeah. the like 99 run. I never liked those. I, I, don't I was re- so I- happy when they got, when they went back to, uh, I think it was, the first year they were the year they were good, the 2012 13 year, where they yeah. went to the they got rid of the black. I never liked the black. I was never a fan. I I really liked the black from like like when Amare first got there. Like they cleaned it up a little bit like year over year. So it right. it was still like not quite right when like uh you know during the Gallo years and the uh you know right up until like you know the end of like when T Mac was here, and then oh god yeah I know T yeah I know oh 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 you're forgetting one ready what green ones. Like you talking like St. Patty's Day ones? Oh yeah, the oh, Nate Robinson dunk God, contest. Oh dude, those ones are so <laughs> bad. I can't believe that was real that they had green, black, blue, and orange on a jersey at one time. It's horrible. It's horrible. I'm still I'm not even a fan of the silver. I don't know why it's not just like white, um yeah, know, orange. I hear you. And, yeah. Blue. As long as I get rid of the black, I was fine with it. I I think the the white, the blue and the orange is such a sleek look. I've, I've always loved the Knicks unis since they got yeah. those new ones. Yeah, me too. I, I think they're really sharp. I never, I didn't like the half collar that Adidas did, but I really like that they went full collar again. And they, yes, hundred yeah. percent agree. All right, that was 100%. a that was a bit of a tangent to uh, keep things off on a on a end things off on a light note there. Anyway, Matt, thanks for coming on. It's of been, course, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you. We'll talk soon. Um, what do we got? Celtics tomorrow. Celtics got, tomorrow. I think we got the we got Nets the scene, uh, Brooklyn, yeah. New York rematch on Friday that they tried to make into a rivalry like three years ago and uh, just failed miserably. And now they're yep. both bad. And I think the yep. Nets are better than the Knicks. I, I, that I didn't that think seems that to be the take season, this I year. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't think so, but I think it's true. It could be. We'll see. We'll just have to see. It's one of those things that's great that we have 82 games to watch. This incredible. Plenty of sample size to come from. Plenty no of doubt. sample size. All right. Um, everyone, you know, check out, uh, the next wall on Twitter. We got at the next wall, Matt, what's your, uh, what's your handle? It's my name at Matt Spendley at Matt Spendley. Uh, keep an eye out for summer's writing. Keep an eye out for a lot of stuff coming from the next wall this week. I do believe, um, uh, well, should I plug here? I think that's about Keep an it. Eye out for our for our Knicks Film School columns on yeah, Fridays. Yeah, yeah, Knicks Film School from our boy Jeff Ballone. That's right. He's a man. Dude's really just doing outstanding stuff with those things. Really picking the game apart and making it easy to see. So, shouts to JB, you're the man. Um, yeah, subscribe to us, please, and leave us a nice little five star review because that helps out a lot and puts us in front of a lot more people. So. Uh, thanks a lot for everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys.